Have you noticed how the message has changed in the seasons? As we've gone through Advent and Christmas and now Epiphany, it's, it's no longer, as John the Baptist declared, prepare the way for the Lord, but something quite different. Here is the Lamb of God. It happens really quick. From Advent, Christmas to Epiphany now, prepare the way to, he's here. What a dramatic shift. What a dramatic turn of events. The phrase, Lamb of God, that we hear John using, that here's the Lamb of God, that phrase, it might be strange to most of us. I don't know of anyone who uses that phrase in like vernacular, like everyday sort of catching up, talk, stuff like that, except for, and I learned this this week from my metal friends who informed me that this is apparently one of the great punk-informed metalcore bands, not to be confused with British uh, new wave heavy metal, Lamb of God is a band, right? Yeah. Anyways, but for the rest of us who aren't metalheads, it may just be this obscure phrase, Lamb of God. In the Bible, and, <clears throat> and in the liturgy, you recognize this as well when we hold up the Eucharistic elements and say, behold the Lamb of God. You know this, you're familiar with this. And it's a long story what this, where this phrase comes from, what this means. Um, But it begins in the Exodus, with the Exodus story, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed in haste, and the blood was painted on the doorposts, uh, and and it was eaten uh, quickly, loins girded, right? Because they were going to be delivered that night. Later, the Lamb of God was sacrificed in the temple on the Day of Atonement to deliver God's people once again from the sin and death that had plagued them. So for the Jewish audience that John was then speaking to, saying, Behold, here is the Lamb of God, this would have had a ton of significance. Not as just sort of a concept or a tradition, but pointing to a human being, saying, Here is the Lamb of God. Here is the one who would deliver humanity from sin and death. Can you imagine? It's hard for us to imagine. Here's the one, John points out about Jesus of Nazareth, that would fix the whole world's brokenness and gather up all people to be at home with God. Kids, I know that you're in here. This is how I break it down with my kids. We point at the crucifix. We don't have a crucifix. We have a cross in our house. And I'll say, what is Jesus doing? And the answer in our family is, he's fixing the whole world. And he's bringing everyone home with him. That's what John is essentially saying as he points to Jesus of Nazareth, saying, here's the Lamb of God. So these few disciples immediately follow him to find out more. And I wonder what they first asked him. Like, if this was you, put yourself in the scene there. This dramatic turn of events. If this was you, what would your first question be? And this, seriously, think about this eternity-shaping center of human history Light to the nation, salvific event. What would be your first question to this person? What if this person interrupted you before you could ask and said, Hey, what are you looking for? What have you come to see here? And they, (laughs) I love this. Their best question is like, Well, where are you staying? (laughs) Where are you living? He said to them, come and see, in verse 39. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's such a mundane sort of telling of the stories. For such a significant event, you would think there would be, like, something crazy going on. But it's, no, it's pretty, pretty boring. It's just, what are you looking for? I don't know, where are you staying? Come see, check it out. I love 
the way that the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus in this sort of really plain, humanly accessible sort of way. Because it draws us into the most incredible and the most important story of all of eternity. Meeting the incarnate God. That's what this is about. And you might be tempted to think that meeting the incarnate God could sort of be fantasy or myth or like so out there, right? If it wasn't for these details, these very plain details of the story. We can imagine Jesus uh, posing that to question, posing that question to us as his disciples too. And it gets even, even more tricky, more interesting. What are you looking for? Can you imagine finally coming face to face with Jesus, our Lord, and him before you could say anything saying, what are you looking for? The question demands of the disciples that he chose first, by the way, to get clear about why they're following him, why they're pursuing him. On this exact passage, theologian Gustavo Gutierrez writes, it is not enough simply to follow him For there are forms of adherence that are not reliable. And listen to this. And others that break down at the first demands of discipleship. What are you looking for? Let's get clear. At the outset, what exactly are you looking for? And Jesus poses this question to anyone who pursues him. What are you really looking for in this life? What do you really want? What do you think will make you truly happy and fulfilled in this life. This is really sort of, if we could expand Jesus' question, something that sort of strikes the bone in us. And before these disciples could really answer, what are you looking for in some sort of profound discipleship sort of way, uh, they just really turned to him and say, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And maybe they needed his address because so, they were going to be part of his table group, which, by the way... See, it's in the Bible. No. Um, They wanted to be near him. They wanted to be taught. They wanted his address. They wanted to know where he was living because they wanted their lives to be proximate to his. They wanted to become his students, really, in life. Not just an occasional visitor, like once a week, for an hour only. And then after that, we're watching the clock because you got things to do, Jesus. No, they were coming to make their home with him. A whole new life. Where was he staying? This word became flesh. He came to live among us. His home was being made among us. So to find out where God is dwelling, we must follow him and see for ourselves. And the twist is we find that he's actually coming to make a home with us. And it was four o'clock in the afternoon. What about this? Such an insignificant detail, really. You don't, I mean, it could have been 10 o'clock and like, it wouldn't have made a difference. I think this is just a personal artifact of like something, if, when something happens in your life and it's really, really memorable, you remember where you were. You remember like these big sort of life events? I could tell you exactly where I was when this or that happened. I think for John, four o'clock-ish was that kind of detail. I remember exactly where I was. And it's not just for him. Maybe there's a sort of a four o'clock in our regular lives. It's that time of a normal day, nothing fantastic happening, when we encounter the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world. 
we encounter Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe when you need his saving help. Maybe when you know, like, I need you, Jesus, and you encounter him in a powerful way. Or maybe when you don't think you need him. Or you're busy. you got better things to be doing. In the mundane or the busy moments of life, the Lamb of God is present to us, even in those moments when we don't really want him to intervene. Because we're stepping into a meeting, or we got this really difficult conversation, or I'm feeding the kids, and I'm clean, or whatever. We find in those four o'clock sort of moments that the Lamb of God is present to us, and He invites us, even in those inconvenient moments, come and see. Walk with me. Make your home with me. Live with me. Work with me. Become my student every day of your life. Watch how I do this, and then mimic that, those kinds of things. So picture this. It might be a 4 o'clock at a work day, and you've got conflict with somebody, a coworker. And instead of getting in there and handling it and doing things the way you do it, you might find Jesus saying, hey, come and see. i got a different way to do this. How inconvenient, right? Like, who knows what's going to happen? How risky? Jesus following him? In the workplace, what could happen? Or in the challenges you face with uncertainties and stresses that pop in your life, you know them. You may hear his voice buried under all of that stress. Hey, come and see. Can I show you something? Can you become my student right now in this tough situation? Can, you sh- can I show you how I do this? Will you trust me? Or maybe it's in your sort of laziness or your complacency or your greed. You go on and on. Jesus, come and see. I will show you how to act in faith. Friends, this is what it looks like, what it sounds like, how it feels to be a student of Jesus, a disciple, a follower. I could tell you as I'm thinking about, Sean, when have you heard Jesus' come and see recently in your life, the last few years? Sort of zooming out. Especially as a priest with a lot of people in my care. I see, uh, and, and it's honestly, as someone who has theological training. Who, it's my job to pray and study and to think. All of those things I find are only as good as they are helpful for me to hear Jesus saying, Sean, come and see. Be my student. Be my disciple. And often, so often, friends... Yes, I find this in study, but so often I find it in in walking and learning and sharing life with each of you in community, with people, I find this. I often hear Jesus' invitation to uh, walk with and learn from, especially in the last couple years, historically marginalized voices that I've not heard from or been, been trained to hear from in the past. I'm talking about learning to be with children. Have you ever listened to children? There's a come and see with children. With the elderly, there's a come and see with them. With sexual minorities, there's something to listen to and learn from with them. With the dying, have you ever been at a bedside of someone sick or dying? Jesus is powerfully present. And he has a way of being with the dying. With women, especially in the church, Something to listen to, to hear Jesus has come and see. With people of color, you can see how there are these voices in my life that, that Jesus has called to me and said, Sean, pay attention, come and see, learn. 
I've experienced that invitation really powerfully in my life in the last few years. But also I find that voice with our staff and with the leaders we work with. If you serve on a regular basis, you, I, I don't want to creep anybody out. But like I'm paying attention and hopefully at my best I'm hearing Jesus' invitation to come and see. Watch how I do this. Work with me. Friends, all this to say, not to pat myself on the back, but to give evidence to the fact that Christ is truly among us. If you're wondering where he lives, where he dwells, he has come to make a home in you. In, this, in us, in this community. And so if you want to pay attention, if you want to hear his invitation, come and see, then pay attention to the brothers and sisters around you, sitting right next to you. Christ is truly among us, and he is inviting us in the very spaces of our lives to become his disciples, if we would only be open to it. There is more to discipleship than just watching Jesus from afar. Or doing the liturgy stuff. And then going home and trying to sort your life out. Get things together. There's more to discipleship than watching Jesus from afar and doing your best effort in the meantime, in other words. When we encounter the word made, fr- made flesh, we encounter the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And also our teacher, our rabbi. We become his students when we submit our real lives to his care. And then when he calls out to his friends, come and see that we would go, wait, no, actually, maybe I should take him seriously and risk it. Try it out. Even if it's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe it's at 10.32 on a Sunday morning. At any time of day, you'll hear his invitation and you can risk it. When we become his disciples, listening and learning and then obeying in faith and trusting. Friends, we really do find what we're looking for. We find that meaning of our lives. We find out who we really are. We find out that God really loves us and that he's for us. We find a God who's willing to share with us his genius of how he does things, a new and better way. We find a God who is committed to and is currently making all things new. This is all good news, and this God of ours is making his home with us. Not apart from us, but with us, and especially in this community. So let us open our hearts then. Friends, what if we risked it? What if we listened to that invitation of the Lord and then risked obeying, responding to it, even this morning? That's exactly what we're going to do at this table. When I, or Father Ryan, the celebrant, lifts up the elements and says, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes the sins of the world, who takes away the sins of the world. There is an invitation for you not to just watch it from your seat and say, That's cool. But actually to step into this aisle risking everything, submitting your entire life to his care, to his lordship. And opening up your hands and saying, Yes, Lord, by faith I receive you as my teacher from this day and forevermore. Amen.